Thursday, September 20th, 2018. You're like, yeah, what's that? I know exactly where I was that, that day. In fact, that evening. It was Thursday night football. I was with my good friend Eric, who is much more of a Browns fan than I am, and much more of a, well, I mean, athletics fan than I am. And we were at the Brown Stadium. Uh, Browns were facing the New York Jets. Uh, the Browns are down by two touchdowns. We come to the very, almost the end of the second quarter, and Tyrod Taylor, who's the quarterback, gets hit. And I mean gets hit hard. They take him off the field into the locker room to be assessed for a concussion and on to the field for his NFL game debut is the Baker Mayfield. And I was there. Now, they're down two touchdowns, like I said, and Baker Mayfield starts to throw rocket after rocket. I mean, the anticipation in everybody's hearts and minds was was palpable, and, and the, 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 the energy in the stadium, and people were just waiting to see, like, will he live up to all the hype? Is he going to cave under pressure? And I'm telling you what, Baker Mayfield, he came out and was just like, I got this. Let's go. He had been preparing his whole life for this. End of the game, and he leads uh, the, the Browns in a rally Browns win 21 to 17, which, by the way, ends a 19-game winless streak. Like a year and a half, the Browns had not won a game, and I mean, the crowd absolutely erupted. We're high. I'm high-fiving everybody and their brother around me. I was slapping Eric on his back so hard he finally looked at me. He's like, "Quit! You're hurting me." Like, at one point, I had to plug my, I've never had to plug my ears in an open-air environment because the sound of the celebration was deafening. <laughs> I share that memory. It was, man, one of those top-notch moments, right? I share that memory, though, to ask a really important question, and this is the question. <laughs> Why don't we have that kind of joy and celebration in our everyday lives? Why is it that we reserve those truly celebratory moments for, you know, a big win or a championship or, you know, a special party? Or Why is it that we approach life as a grind most of the time? Like something that we just need to get through without any sort of real joy. You know that on average children smile 400 times a day, but something happens as we get older. Adults only smile about 20 times a day. Isn't that crazy? Something happens as we get older where we, we start facing life, approaching all of life as more of a duty than a delight. And I don't think it was meant to be that way. You know what's interesting about my Browns game experience? As as excited as I was, as, as pumped as everybody was, there was this little voice inside of me, and you know what it was saying? It won't last. <laughs> the cynic in me was taking root. This leads to a bottom line truth that we want to further explore this weekend, and that is this. We will either live a life of celebration 
or a life of cynicism. The two just cannot coexist and will end up going down one road or the other. And I would dare say that many of us, myself included, have approached life far too often with cynicism instead of joy and celebration. And I think God wants more for us. I know this because throughout the pages of Scripture, I mean, you go back into the Old Testament, and what is it? I mean, there's celebration after celebration, feasts and loud music and shouts of joy. And God, these were, these were things that God commanded the people to participate in. God was all about the celebration. And, and what, what we see in the Old Testament, it carries right into the New Testament. You think about it. Jesus' first miracle He turns water into wine in order to extend a wedding celebration. And I know that the heartbeat of Jesus is for us to experience joy and to live a celebratory kind of life because of something that Jesus said in John chapter 15 and following. He's he's giving like his farewell address and he's gathered his disciples, his followers And he says these words, I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, he says, yes, your joy will overflow. During our time, I want us to use the word celebration and joy almost interchangeably because they they go right hand in hand with one another. And Jesus is saying that it's possible to live a life where we are so full of joy that it cannot be contained, that it just naturally overflows and drips down and touches the rest of the people around us, that our life can be that full of joy and celebration. And this joy, it's not some sort of haphazard happiness. Uh, One person has defined joy as a, a settled confidence that God is in control, that that honestly, whether the Browns are winning or losing, we can still have joy because it's not just based upon our circumstances. It's something that it comes from within. Now, remember, Jesus had said, I've told you all these things so that you will be full of joy, right? So the question becomes, what were the things that he had just been telling them? And that's what I want us to take a few moments to look at. So we're just going to jump back a couple verses in the Gospel of John, still chapter 15, and let's look at verse 4 and following, and we'll put it up on the screen for you. Here's Jesus' words. These are the, this is the pathway to being full of joy and celebration. He says, remain in me. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, he says. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And those who remain in me, there's that word again, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. But, he says, if you There it is again. Remain in me and my words remain in you. You could ask anything that you want and it will be granted. 
Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love, he says. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Remain. Remaining, staying, abiding. This is the pathway to what Jesus said would bring us his kind of joy and our joy would not be able to be contained. Now, before I th- we, we think a little bit more about what it really means to remain or abide, let me tell you what, it, what it's not. To remain in Jesus, it's not just showing up to church on Sunday. To remain in Jesus is, is not just going to Jesus you know, when, when we really, really need him. Remaining in Jesus is, a, is, a, is an attitude, a mindset, a, a daily decision to, to recognize God's power and presence in our life, to, to put ourselves under His authority and His leadership in our lives, that moment by moment we're staying connected to the, to the real source of life. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He says, Remaining, abiding in me is the pathway to real joy. And something happens as we remain in Jesus. I want to jump back to verse 5 of John chapter 15. Remember what Jesus said? He said, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And he said, apart from me, you could do nothing. There's a fruitfulness that can happen in our lives when we remain connected to Jesus, when we stay close to him. And he says our lives will produce fruit. It's apple season, right? Love apple season. Uh, You might have a bowl of apples on the table at your house. It's interesting. You know, the tree does not produce apples really for itself. The tree doesn't eat the apples, right? No, we eat the apples. The, the fruit is a gift for other people, for all of us, right? And so it is in our lives. When, when we stay connected, we remain, we abide in Jesus. He wants to produce fruit. That's, it's not selfish fruit. It's fruit that benefits other people. And one of those fruits is joy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, all those good things. But look at it. And joy. Joy is part of the fruit of God's Spirit. And as we remain in Jesus, God's Spirit produces this joy. And Jesus said that's the kind of joy that cannot be contained. That's the kind of celebratory life that we can discover. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that things won't still be hard, that we won't face difficulties and trials and temptations. But even in the midst of those things, we can have joy. And instead of approaching life just as a duty, life, following God, loving others, working with our hands, it can be a delight. But life doesn't always go that way, does it? We don't always have all, all these beautiful fruits of God's Spirit, love and peace. And, you know, sometimes it's more like 
you know, anger and crankiness and frustration and busyness and depression. And, you know, we aren't the only ones that struggle with these things. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes to a group, another group of believers, and he asks this question in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, where's that joyful and grateful spirit that you once felt? He's just really saying, where's the joy? Where did the joy go? Where, where did the celebration in our life slip away? Think about it. When was the last time that, that you laughed so hard it hurt your stomach? When was the last time you, you smiled so long that your cheeks hurt? When was the last time that, man, you broke out into a dance party in the middle of the kitchen with your kids? When, when was the last time, husbands, we just bought our wives a big bouquet of flowers, not because it was Valentine's Day, but because we were overwhelmed with gratitude, just because we're so blessed, and we just had to celebrate them. Kids, when was the last time, instead of always just asking and wanting more, kids, we, we stopped and said, man, mom and dad, they really love me. And they really care for me. And they are, mom and dad have been so generous to me. And just stopped to take a moment to say, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Where, where has all the joy and celebration gone? You know, there, there's a, another group of people that obviously were struggling with a dissipation of their joy, that, the, that somehow celebration had started to escape their lives, so much so that the Paul, Apostle Paul, he writes to another group of believers that were gathering every week in Thessalonica, and he says these words. It's a command. He says, Always be joyful. He said, this is really, really important. In fact, joy, is, it, it honors God. And God's heartbeat is for us to experience his joy and that that joy would overflow into other people's lives. He goes on, he says, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. All these things, he says, this is God's will for you. Who belong. It's God's will that we would experience joy. And that we would live a life of celebration, even in the midst of the hardship. Verse 19, though, then he says, and do not stifle the Holy Spirit. You see, I think this, is, this might perhaps be where we're losing our joy. This might be part of the reason why we don't celebrate as much anymore. He says, don't stifle, or another word that the Bible uses here is quench. It's, it's this picture of, of um, cutting off or squeezing out. Remember, earlier we read Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of God's Spirit is love and joy and peace, but, but that, that Spirit gets squelched when we live a life of, of cynicism. And, and, and when we used to be able, you know, fruit, remember the, the bowl of Apples maybe that are on your table, or maybe it's bananas hanging on a little thing trying to keep them ripe, you know. They're good for now, but like a, a few days, another week, what happens? You get a little brown, they get a little mushy. Next thing you know, you got gnats flying around in your kitchen. Why? 
Because the fruit's dying. Why is it dying? Because it's not connected to the vine anymore. It's not connected to the tree. It's not attached to the branches. Because it's from those branches, it's from the vine, that we, we get the, the, the source of life. And God's word here is reminding us that we can quench, we can squeeze off the life that God's Spirit wants to produce fruit in us when we live lives that are detached or strangulating God's power because we've made life about ourselves and not others and not about Jesus. And it, it, it squelches all that life. And it, it saps the joy. That's what cynicism does. Remember our bottom line truth this weekend? So we'll either live a life of celebration or of cynicism. Cynicism, uh, Paul Maxwell, he defines it uh, this way. He says, uh, cynicism is the emotional disposition of distrust or rejection toward a particular idea, person, or group as a result of negative experiences either directly or indirectly. I thought, well, I mean, I'm pretty upbeat. I'm a pretty positive guy. I'm not a cynic until I started to look at it a little bit closer. Let me, let me give us some, some pictures of what cynicism does in our lives. Cynicism looks at our own child and says, oh, they probably aren't good enough to make the team, and so should I even encourage them to try out? You're like, somebody thought that about their kids? Yeah, me. I'm ashamed to say that. So Carter, he's our youngest. He's uh, going into seventh grade. He's a little guy. I mean, my wife, Lisa, she's four foot eight. I'm just like total average. Like we don't produce NBA stars, NFL players. He is a little guy. And for years he played basketball and he played football. And man, he got knocked down by kids like twice his size. And so we started thinking, man, maybe we need to find another sport. <laughs> Like, let's try something else. Let's try something maybe that he'll have a better chance at. And he, like, he hadn't played soccer since, like, age five, literally. But he comes up with this idea that he wants to play soccer. And so we said, okay. So we put him in just the regular rec league because, you know, there's no tryouts for that. Everybody makes a team. Yeah, yeah. And he actually liked it. And he's like, Dad, some of my friends are on the travel team. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, man, travel team, that's tryouts. I'm, I'm, as a dad, I'm like trying to protect his heart. I'm like, well, you know, I, you know, we'll have to see. I'm not sure. Maybe we need a little bit more time. Maybe, you know, he wanted to try out. Inwardly, I was fearful. Inwardly, honestly, I was cynical. Well, he went to a trial. I was even trying to explain to the coach, like, hey, you know, and just check, you know, let us know, like, hey, he's probably not ready for this, and if he's not, just, you know, just, just let us know. It's no big deal. You know, it would have been a big deal to Carter, but the coach says, you know, the kid, he, he's all right. He's got, he got, he's got potential. I see it. I'm at the very first travel game for the soccer team. I'm just surprised that he's even on the field actually getting play time. And Carter scores the first goal. And the cynic almost robbed the celebration. It can happen in all of our lives. You know, cynicism, it looks at our spouse and says, oh, they'll probably be late again. 
They love their job more than they love us. And while we probably all need to work a little less and spend a little bit more time with our families, you know, when we have this attitude, this negative cynicism that just looks at only the worst, it can keep us from celebrating when mom does get home. Right? Cynicism, it looks at that new coworker and says, oh great, they're probably replacing me. Hey, maybe, maybe not. But, but that kind of cynical attitude, it can rob us of getting to know a person and discovering some of their gifts and their abilities and, and re- realizing, hey, maybe they're going to actually add to the team. Maybe they're going to make the office a better environment. Maybe they're going to make the business better. You see how cynicism, it can just steal our joy and it can rob us of celebration. Cynicism looks at the new class of students and says, oh boy, here we go. They're going to drive me nuts just like last year's class. My, I can say this. My wife's a teacher, first grade. She gets the IEPs and the, and the behavioral plans, you know, of all these kids that are coming into your class. And it would be so easy to look at some of these things and be like, oh boy, that kid. It's like, I already don't like him. <laughs> but I love Lisa's heart. She's wise. I mean, she looks at, at the the behavior plans, she, she looked at the comments from last year's teachers, but every year she walks into that classroom and says, but you know what? They've never been my student, and I don't know them yet, and I need to get to know them for myself, and let's just see. She's not letting the, sinis, the, the, the cynic that could rise up steal the joy and the celebration of a child that she gets a chance to, to influence. One more. Cynicism looks at the newlyweds. I was just at a wedding last weekend. And, and instead of celebrating, says, I wonder how long it'll last. You know, it's sad that that's the day, of, day and age that we live in, 50% of marriages, they say, and in divorce. And it, yeah, I mean, it's not even like cynicism. It's, it's almost like reality. But I mean, isn't God bigger than reality? I mean, is that the way to go at life? Instead of, I mean, the cynic in that moment could just completely rob us of the celebration. Why? Because we'll either live a life of cynicism or of celebration. If, if, we, if we spend our time at the wedding reception thinking, oh, how long is it going to last? We miss out on the dance, the cake, the pictures, the joy, the kisses. We miss it all if we live a cynical kind of life. That's not, that's not what God wants for you and for me. And yet we all too often get trapped. We get wrapped up into it. So I want to close our time asking the question, then how do we cultivate a habit of celebration? We've been in this series called Habits. Today we bring it to a close. These, these different spiritual disciplines like Meditating on scripture and prayer and confession and fasting. And yes, celebration. Celebration ought to be a habit of our lives because we're remaining in Jesus and he's producing this joy in our life that just leads to outward celebration. And so how can we cultivate that? I I could... I kind of want to wrap it up in three key words. Go, 
stay, and stop. The first one is go. How do we cultivate a life of of joy and celebration? We go. We go back to the gospel. Often. Go back to the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus, his son. Sending Jesus, his one and only, to this messed up world. And Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. And then he died a criminal's death because we're the criminals. We're the ones that have broken God's law, God's way, God's rule. And God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to do that on our behalf. Like, do we get it? Like, that's a huge deal. That ought to well our hearts up again and again with joy. I mean, until Jesus, I did not have real meaning and purpose in my life. And now I live a life. It's not easy all the time. It's hard sometimes and heavy sometimes, but I've got purpose and I've got meaning and I've got joy and I know that I'm forgiven and I know that my eternal destiny is secure. we got to go back to the gospel. I love what one of my favorite pastors and authors says, Kerry Newoff, he says, hey, you want to kick cynicism in the teeth? Trust again. Hope again. Believe again. And the only thing that I know that truly helps a person trust, hope, and believe again, it's the gospel. It changes everything. So we got to go back to the gospel. That's the first word, go and then stay. Stay connected to Jesus. That's what, remember Jesus' words, abide in me, remain in me, over and over and over again in John 15. And that's what all, all those remaining in him, staying, staying connected to Jesus, he said, I've told you all these things so that you may have my joy and that my joy will overflow. The pathway to joy is staying connected to Jesus. That's why I love the the next series that we're going to begin here on the weekends next week. It's called Simple. And we're going to look at those four simple environments that help us stay connected to Jesus and transform our life. The row, circle, chair, and then go, engaging in life and in ministry. When, when we gather like this on the weekends, it's not everything, but it is something, and it's important. It's, it's a place where we come together with others, and we worship, and God speaks to us through, through the words of the songs, and, and then through his word, someone shares, and we, we listen, and we learn, and we, we grow. We take steps keeps us connected. It helps us stay closer to Jesus. When we get in a circle environment where where we're connecting with others and other people are speaking into our lives and praying for us and encouraging us and helping us look at the truth of God's word for guidance in life, we become more connected when we're involved in a circle. When, when When we take time every day to sit in a chair, it doesn't have to be a chair. It might be in your car. It might It might be at the classroom, it's just a quiet space where we connect personally with God through his word and prayer. It keeps us connected. It helps us remain. It helps us stay. And then when we go, we go and use our gifts and abilities to serve our church, to serve our community. When we engage in serving others, we are connected to Jesus because at the heartbeat of Jesus was service. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So we've got to go. We've got to go back to the gospel. We've got to stay. We've got to stay connected to Jesus. And thirdly, we've got to stop. Stop and celebrate even the little things, even sometimes the hard things. But we've got to stop. Now, that's a problem because I don't know about you. I don't stop. Isn't life crazy? Isn't life busy? Isn't there always something more? And we will miss the joy and we will certainly miss celebrating if we do not stop. And start celebrating some of the little things. I mean, even when it comes to like these spiritual disciplines, they don't have to be disciplines. They can be delights. But we've got to slow down and we've got to stop and take notice of what God's doing in the midst of the disciplines. I mean, if, if I'm praying... That's great. But if I actually write down maybe some of the things that I'm praying about, and then periodically I go back over and look at some of the things that I've been praying about, and then I all of a sudden realize, huh, what do you know? God answered at least that one. That could, in that moment, we have an opportunity. We can stop and we can celebrate. We can say thank you. We can share it with a friend. Text somebody, call somebody. Hey, I needed to tell you. I've been praying, and I prayed about this specific thing. And guess what? God moved, and I just needed to tell somebody. He's faithful. He does work. He does listen. He does hear. Celebrate. When we're reading Scripture, yeah, you know what? Some days it's dry. Some days it's just Okay, because I'm, I should, I need to. But man, thank God for that. Or, or the, those moments when it does feel like the, the pages and the words lift off the pages and it feels like, feels like God's speaking right to you through his word. Stop. Stop right there and celebrate. Thank him. Worship him. Text a friend say, look what I just read. This is so good. We've got to learn to slow down so that we can take note of what God's really up to, and then we've got to stop and start celebrating more, even little things. You know, I work with a lot of couples that are getting ready to get married, and, you know, they're excited, and they're, they start, you know, they're in love, and they start planning, and you know, at first it's really like, oh, yeah, we've well, we got to find a, you know, receptionist spot. And, you know, who, who's going to do our marriage? And are we going to do it at the church? Or is it going to be an off-site? Is it going to be a destination? You know, uh, you know, you just start getting excited, playing. She's shopping for dresses, and he, he's putting off going to the tuck shop, you know. And, uh, but something always, I mean, almost without fail, always happens. Maybe, maybe a month and a half, a month out. Certainly by, by three weeks out, guess what happens? Everybody's stressed. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's worried about money. Everybody's starting to feel overwhelmed about this, this incredible celebration that they're planning 
and preparing for. And oftentimes, I, you know, a couple weeks out, I'll just text the couple and say, how's it going? And, well, man, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of details. And I'll just say these words in a text message. Hey, do me a favor. Just go take a walk together. Or go out on a date and don't talk one bit about the wedding plan. Just be together. Just stop. And remember what it's really all about. It's about you. It's about your love. It's about your relationship. It's about God's blessing in your life. Stop. And just celebrate. And friends, I think we're, we're missing out on some of what Jesus really really longs for us to experience. We're going to go at life one of two ways. We'll, we'll either live a life of celebration or of cynicism. But remember Jesus' words as we close. I've told you all this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, so that your joy it will overflow. You guys, what are you going to celebrate this week? Pick something, even a little something. But make a big deal out of a little thing. Because God has made a big deal out of a little thing like us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And forgive the cynic inside of me and perhaps inside It's only the gospel that will help us believe and trust and hope again. So help us to keep going back to the gospel. And Jesus, help us to stay. To stay connected to you. To remain in you. So that your spirit can produce fruit in our life freely. The fruit of joy. And God, would you help us to stop. This week. Help us to slow down, take note, and stop and celebrate. And praise you and celebrate others. Because this is your heartbeat for us, Jesus. It's in your name that we ask this. Amen.